Money FM 89.3, best of weekends. We have a, a fascinating guest talking about what's going on with the Barisan National Party in Malaysia. Neil, I can't wait to uh, talk about this. You want to stay for this. This is an extraordinary guest to have on the show. We're very lucky to have him, Roman Bose. Now, he's the author of a new book, Final Reckoning, an insider's view of the fall of Malaysia's national government. He was actually there. He was inside mm. working for Premier Najib Razak during all the scandals. He was there. I mean, he's the main man. Fantastic. And there he is now. Good morning, Roman. How are you doing? Good morning. Good morning. Morning, guys. Great to have you with us. Now, look, this is a controversial topic on many, many levels. Give us your overview of um, what happened, what happened, and, and where does your book take well, us on this journey? Oh. Well, well, hold on, Glenn. Before I even start with that, I just have to say, Neil, thanks a lot for ruining it for all of us who live in the East Coast, man. Here we're trying to keep people out, you know, of the East, out of Bedo, out of Changi, and and thanks a lot for advertising and telling everyone to come over there. I'm just gonna have to start digging into my egg tarts. You know, I'm I'm sorry, hey, man. Hey, this is I, just, it's I'm, terrible. Changi Bay Point, my friend, is a little corner of paradise. East Coast, yes. East Coast Park is like Disneyland <laughs> at the weekends. You know. So go on the weekdays. Go on the weekdays. Well, you know what? Uh, Roman, you can just start sending people to Senkong if you want. Just go ahead and start pitching oh, Senkong. No, no, and, no. no and because... get all the people up in Senkong and Pungol that you want. Uh, that might be one no, way to conjure. No, no, no. Because, you know, Senkong is the no, new jewel of no. the Northeast. The same thing uh, happened so. there. This is it. The this same thing happened there. <laughs> i got to say, I went there. I started writing about it. And now everyone is there at the weekends. Senkong is terrible. Senkong is rubbish. Do not go there. Because of Neil. Because of Neil's writing, everybody goes there now. It's so true. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so Roman, Lovely. take us yeah. take us through this uh, yeah. insider's view of the fall of Malaysia's BN government. Well, you know, initially I didn't I didn't actually want to write this book um, because obviously, firstly, very very traumatic. Uh, you know, recollecting what actually happened three years ago. But after seeing what's happened in Malaysia over the last couple of years uh, in terms of politics and what have you, um, I decided that actually this really needed to be written down. People needed to understand what actually happened from roughly about 2012, 2013 until Barisan government uh, lost power um, on the 9th of May 2018, as it were. So that was the that was that was my thinking behind it because a lot of good um, happened during that period. Of course, you know you had ups, you had downs. It was a roller coaster ride. Um, you had you know one of the obviously the biggest scandal, the the whale of all scandals, one MDB. You also had MH370. You had MH17. It was really a very very historic period in the sense that you had so many things happening uh, that was so significant, not just in the country itself, but in the region and globally as well. Okay, Roman, just take us back to the beginning briefly. You you were a journalist for 20-something years before that, and then you get the job as a political communications consultant, I believe, for the former Prime Minister, Najib Razak. If I'm wrong, tell me, but you're not even Malaysian, is that correct? Yeah, well, I, I, I'm, I'm Singaporean. As right, well. so you're a so, Singaporean, you know, you're a Singaporean journalist with 20 plus you know, years experience. Firstly, how do you get that job? And then when you walk into that inner circle of Najib Razak's government in the, what is it, 2012, what were you walking into? Well, you get the job by applying on LinkedIn, as as you know, because you know they advertise. <laughs> it's just that easy, folks. 
Seriously. Is that seriously how you Is that really how it happened? No. no. Oh, I was going to say. <laughs> I wish it were. I oh. wish it were. You know, and, and, and LinkedIn should be paying me a commission. They would for, love that. You yeah, know, for, sure. for promoting People them, have just were. left the radio but... show to go to LinkedIn to apply for jobs with prime ministers all around the world. Unbelievable. <laughs> No, but it's a good, well, it's a good it, question. The, the, I mean, how do you get connected into that level yeah, of, of the, government? In the sanctum. Well, it, you know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, I, I was never connected in that sense um, because what happened was, you know, I was a journalist. I was a foreign correspondent working in Malaysia uh, for the French news agency AFP. Um, and I had lots of journal friends and what have you. And for years, you know, there was discussions of having a foreign correspondence club. And, and they had tried several times before on the previous governments to try and set it up, but they were never able to. Um, so I got along together with a, a group of my friends. You know, we, we got together and then we, we lobbied the government. We spoke to these various individuals and what have you. And we were successful. We actually succeeded in forming a foreign correspondence club um, in Malaysia. And of course, we managed to get the prime minister as guest of honor. And, and I was very lucky, obviously, being president of the Foreign Correspondence Club to sit next to the Prime Minister. So, you know, I, I had my, my, what, two minutes of fame having a short chat with the Prime Minister, which was brilliant. Uh, you know, and, and that was that. I thought, you know, that would be the end of that. Then I, mm -hmm. I received a job offer um, from the UK, uh, one of these uh, political risk consultancies. Um, mm. They came and headhunted me, and I thought, oh, that's brilliant. You know, that's something that <clears throat> that me, my family, you know, we definitely be be. I would definitely be interested in. So I was looking at that, and of course, in the middle of all of that, Bursay. Uh, 2.0 happened. And if people don't know what Bursay is, basically it's a, uh, uh, an NGO in Malaysia that was fighting for free and fair and clean elections. Um, and they, held, uh, they staged one of these major protests in downtown Kuala Lumpur. I was in the middle of it, covering it uh, for the Y agency. Um, and I got caught in it. I mean, I was almost trampled to death uh, in, in a water feature, if you can believe. Um, so it was, <laughs> At least you were it clean. Was, it was quite horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pretty clean, yes, Sorry. at that point. The water wasn't, but, you know. Uh, so, you know, so all of that was, it was, that was quite horrendous. But what that meant was that, you know, I saw firsthand what actually had happened. And I, obviously, you know, being a journalist, you've got your black book, you've got your connections, your contacts. And my contacts were telling me that the prime minister wasn't receiving the real information as to what was actually happening on the ground itself. And, of course, I, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, so, yeah, he's not getting the right information. But then... I'm heading off in a couple of weeks anyhow to London, so why even bother? But then a very good friend of mine, a senior politician, said, Oi, uh, you know, if you believe in this country, you believe in Malaysia, Singapore, you really need to tell the Prime Minister what you saw and what actually happened. Um, and so I was lucky to have a farewell visit with the Prime Minister, just you know, mm. uh, uh, one of these uh, quick five, ten minute uh, kind of courtesy calls before I left the country. Um, as you know, former uh, you know head of the Foreign Correspondence Club, so I, I used that I used that time to tell him about what I saw, what transpired, and to tell him what the situation was on the ground. And he was very surprised. He said, "Wow, really? Um, I was not aware um, that these things had transpired." And so from that point, um, he gave me his his mobile number and his email, and he said, "Message me." Uh, let me know what's going on, um, you know, about things that are happening in the country, especially if you think I'm not getting the right information. And so from there, you know, that, 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 that's how all of this started off. I mean, I was, you know, I'd be sending him messages, sending him emails, and he'd be responding. And then that grew. 
So were you, uh, Roman, Roman, were you one of several different political consultants, uh, communication consultants, or or were you the only one, the main one? How did you rank in, you know, how much of his, uh, Rajiv Natsak's ear did you have? Well, the thing is, I wouldn't, I would not claim to be the the main one as it were. I mean, you know, that obviously any government would have a huge bunch of different consultants and what have you. Um, But I built a relationship um, with with Najib in, in the sense that, you know, over the years, um, you know, giving, providing feedback um, and obviously discussing issues that were going on. And he realized that actually, um, you know, what I was talking about made a lot of sense. Mm. And more interestingly, those, those were the days of, of the start of social media um, in Malaysia and Singapore. And so a lot of people were getting on the social media and it was actually understanding and analyzing social media, understanding what people were trying to say, the message that they were getting out. Very often, um, lots of political parties were just not on social media, or they were, but they weren't actually listening. They weren't understanding um, what social media was telling them. Um, And given that 60, 70, 80% of the population was using social media, that effectively reflected the opinion, Mm. uh, the public opinion of a large swath of Malaysians, um, that, that many groups had not realized the opposition in Malaysia had realized that um, from a very early stage, they had started listening, um, getting involved in social media, interacting. But the the BN government hadn't, um, you know, they hadn't jumped onto that bandwagon yet. They, they just weren't aware. Okay, so, so I, I helped introduce part of that. Well, I was going to say, so social media takes off, Roman, as you take this job. Mm-hmm. And one of the first issues, tragedies that that government has to deal with is the disappearance of MH370. Of course, so there was also the shooting down of MH17. But the disappearance of MH370, that was a massive, massive political story, global event. People are still investigating it to this day. You were on the inside. What were the government doing? What sort of reaction was happening within that inner sanctum of the Najib Razak government? Well... <laughs> you see, and that's the thing, you know, I start off my book by saying the truth is stranger than fiction because the truth really is stranger than fiction. There have been so many conspiracy theories that have come out and what have you about MH370. The reality, unfortunately, is a lot more prosaic um, because fundamentally when they all met at the top meeting, when all, all the guys turned up um, at KLIA to discuss the issues, there was literally a dearth of information. Nobody knew what happened to the plane. Um, you know, the, the radar indicated that the transponder had been turned off and it had disappeared, uh, you know, at, at a specific waypoint. Um, and that was it. And there was literally a dearth of information. They could not get um, accurate data uh, or radar tracking from either Malaysia or neighboring countries as to what had transpired. So... Um, the, the media had gathered at KLIA um, from about 7, 8, 9 a.m. in the morning. Um, and the press conference only happened, you know, late in the evening um, of the same day. And the reason why there was such a long, um, you know, uh, time between uh, the media getting there and the press conference was because they had no information to give. So literally, they were waiting to confirm stuff mm. um, to find out what actually transpired before they could even... Tell so, that. What, so what advice um, did you give the then, Roman? Public. What did you advise the Prime Minister to say? If you've got no information but the public want information, <laughs> what did you do? What did he do? Well, the bottom line is in any of these crisis situations, you have to get in front 
of the story. You, 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 never, you, you never stay behind the story. And in this instance, I was not directly involved because I had just come on board. So I was observing. I was sitting. I was a fly on the wall in the room as all these guys were doing that. When MH17 happened, I was, I was quite involved in that. But MH370, I sat there and observed how all these people were, were, were reacting. But what, having said that, um, I did I did notice you know there's this huge drag time between um, you know the media getting here and having any press conference. So I was, I was telling the prime minister, I was saying, sir, you need to have a press conference now. It has to happen now, even if you don't have the information. It has to happen now. And several times during during the meeting, I was I was raising that until I became an annoyance. Um, to those who are at the meeting itself, um, and he decided in the end, yes, we have to have this. We have to have the press conference. We have to tell people what's going on, even if we have very limited information. Roman, uh, one of the challenges was- that that I noticed. Uh, sorry to to jump in, but uh, something I think is really sure, important sure. is at that time there were three or four different uh, ministries, as I recall, or at least government officials talking about. Um, the 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 plane and the situation, and every time you would turn on the news, it was a different person from a different part of the government talking, saying something that often contradicted uh, what the last guy said. Uh, did did you did you observe that as well? And 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 what were you what were you thinking about that? Were you advising them? Hey, we need a we need a single message coming from a single person or authority. Well, that was it. You see, the team that was that was handling it. Unfortunately, there was no effective coordination. Right. Um, you had several different people speaking on several different issues, and and the fundamental problem that all of them had was that they could not confirm what was being said. Um, so there was a there was a there was a huge um, um, concern because. Here you were receiving all kinds of reports. You were saying, people were saying they'd seen the plane over this specific area, they'd found all kinds of debris here, um, and yet there was no confirmation. So did you take that and did you address that at a press conference and tell people that, oh, there was some debris found here um, without any corroboration um, and create even more speculation? Or did you not talk about that? Do you not yeah. mention that? You know, what information did you release? What did you not release? Did you release only information that you could confirm or information that just came out out of speculation? And that was the biggest problem that they had. They couldn't decide what they needed to release, what they didn't, uh, what they couldn't uh, release because of no confirmation. And because of that, you know, it caused almost paralysis um, in the way that they were operating because they could only provide a limited amount of information that they could confirm. Whatever they couldn't confirm, they wouldn't release. And Roman, we've um, only got a limited so amount can't... of time, so I have to count, cut, you, cut you in there. You know, we've got sure. uh, readers, uh, listeners' questions coming in already. They're all focusing on the okay. one scandal we know what we're going to get to, which is the one MDB <laughs> scandal. You were there. Yes. You were inside the government. Yeah. What happened? How do you think they handled it? Well, the one, DB, one MDB scandal, obviously, you know, lots have been lot, – lots – has been have been written about 1MDB. You know, lots of people have come up with books and what have you. Um, the facts are there. Basically, it's a huge amount of money um, that was literally siphoned out um, of this um, sovereign fund in Malaysia. And the fundamental question that everyone keeps asking, who was the mastermind behind this? Um, and when I answer that question, um, I always have to follow what Woodward and Bernstein did back in All the President's Men. You know, and fundamentally, that is follow the money. You know, and money tells you where and who's responsible for this. Um, and if you follow the f- the fund and the fund flows and what have you, which are really really complex, um, but 
fundamentally it comes down to this. The Department of Justice says that close to 18.4 billion um, disappeared. 18.4 billion dollars disappeared. And the Department of Justice as well says, uh, according to their, their figures and what have you, that only close to 40, uh, 42 million ringgit um, had appeared in Najib Razak's accounts, majority of which were used for corporate social responsibility um, events and what have you. Um, so it was only 42 million that could literally be traced. The rest of that money effectively was traced to, or allegedly traced to, um, Joe Lowe. Um, and individuals who are involved um, with him, as it were. Roman, I've got to jump in there so and the say point. that people listening would say, this sounds a lot like you're defending your former employer, who I assume remunerated you rather well. Uh, you were paid quite well to do this job, and you're defending your ex-boss. There's a lot of information to suggest something different, <laughs> that the that the money well, was siphoned off and went, yeah. to the, and went to the, the leading family. And you see, and that's it, you see, the, the fundamental truth is often stranger than fiction. Um, and what I'm telling you is actually what transpired and what I have seen in terms of figures. Um, and in terms of figures, this is, what, this is what I have seen. I mean, you've seen only what, less than 1% actually going into these accounts, whereas 18.3 billion, you know, where has that 18.3 billion gone? Um, you know, those have, that has not been traced at all. To anywhere close to, uh, to Najib, where has that money disappeared? To? Yeah, I mean, that's you know, fundamentally the, the uh, big question. And, and you know, I, I hate to put too fine a point on it, but but even if it's forty-two million, the guy still stole forty-two million dollars and used yeah. it inappropriately. Oh, yeah. uh, that was company that you this know was, that was money from from the people. Roman, you know, look, you covered Malaysia politics for such a long time. Going into this, I mean, y- you must have known what the criticisms were about the BN and nepotism, cronyism. Uh, you know, uh, the the rampant corruption. That is uh, that has been documented well throughout the government circles in Malaysia. Did did you ever have pause about getting on that team and working for that team, knowing that you know many Malaysians were suffering and poor and missing out on the gravy train when so many politicians were cashing in? Well, you know, the fundamental issue here uh, is that basically there, there's always the good and the bad. So in anything that you deal with, especially with something as large sure. as virus and national, there's so many elements to that. So not everyone's good, not everyone's bad. I was working with the prime minister because I believe that he had a vision for Malaysia and he was trying to make effective changes. The things that he brought in were fundamentally good for the country. And that was the reason why I assisted, you know, I worked with him because I believed that he was doing good things for the countries. The regional transformation, the urban transformation centers where you could get passports within one hour, the Pan Borneo Expressway, Mm. um, the new buildings in in Kuala Lumpur, the MRT system. These are all things that Najib brought in. Um, In a word, in a word, can I jump in? Do you still believe all of that? Knowing what we all know now, do you still believe all of that? I still believe uh, fundamentally that Najib, if you ask me, my personal opinion is that he was a patsy. Uh, he was duped mm. in that scenario. Interesting. Um, and that, that's, you know, from all that I have seen over the years um, and all that's come out in the, court, in the courtrooms and the court proceedings and what have you, he appears to me to have been duped um, in this scenario. He did not realize what actually was happening. Um, even when I saw him on the 3rd of July 2015, when all of this appeared in the Wall Street Journal, I had asked the Prime Minister, I asked him, sir, are these your bank accounts? And he d- didn't even know if it was his bank accounts. So he had to make phone calls to find out um, you know, whether those were actually his accounts, you know, where funds had been transferred um, into. 
Um, mm. That just fundamentally shows you, you know, completely unaware um, of what actually happened, what transpired. Wow. Um, it, it and is, this is why. You know, yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, Roman, we do have to leave it there. But this is a fascinating uh, look at uh, at your perspective of, of what happened uh, in the BN. Uh, Roman Bose, the author of Final Reckoning, an insider's view of the fall of Malaysia's Barisan National Government, available now in bookstores and online. And uh, Roman, fascinating. I hope you'll come back on. Yeah. Look, we could talk all day with you about this, and, and we, know that, we know that it deserves a, a full airing. But thank you for this glimpse into uh, your research and your, your time in the government there and, and, and working with uh, Najib and others. Really fascinating. I ho- hope you'll come on again. Definitely. Cheers. Thank you very much, guys. Thanks, Roman. Thank and you remember, so much. Don't, and remember, don't come to the East Coast. Don't, 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 <laughs> Especially don't. Neil, right? Is that a warning to me or the Malaysian <laughs> government? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you, you, Neil. Oh, okay. You, you. Okay. Uh, thank you, Roman. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.